The New Aspect of the Woman Question by Sarah Grand This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. It is amusing, as well as interesting, to note the pause which the new aspect of the woman question has given to the bawling brothers, who have hitherto tried to howl down every attempt on the part of our sex to make the world a pleasanter place to live in. That woman should ape man and desire to change places with him was conceivable to him as he stood on the hearth-rug in his lord and master monarch of all I survey attitude, well inflated with his own conceit, but that she should be content to develop the good material which she finds in herself and be only dissatisfied with the poor quality of that which is being offered to her in man, her mate, must appear to him to be a thing as monstrous as it is unaccountable. If women don't want to be men, what do they want? asked the bawling brotherhood, when the first misgiving of the truth flashed upon them. And then, to reassure themselves, they pointed to a certain sort of woman, in proof of the contention that we were all unsexing ourselves. It would be as rational for us now to declare that men generally are bawling brothers, or to adopt the hasty conclusion which makes all men out to be fiends on the one hand, and all women fools on the other. We have our shrieking sisterhood as the counterpart of the bawling brotherhood. The latter consists of two sorts of men. First of all is he who is satisfied with the cow kind of woman as being most convenient. It is the threat of any strike among his domestic cattle for more consideration that irritates him into loud and angry protests. The other sort of bawling brother is he who is under the influence of the scum of our sex, who knows nothing better than women of that class in and out of society, preys upon them or ruins himself for them, takes his whole tone from them and judges us all by them. Both the cow woman and the scum woman are well within range of the comprehension of the bawling brotherhood. But the new woman is a little above him, and he never even thought of looking up to where she has been sitting apart in silent contemplation all these years, thinking and thinking, until at last she solved the problem and proclaimed for herself what was wrong with home is the woman's sphere and prescribed the remedy. What she perceived at the outset was the sudden and violent upheaval of the suffering sex in all parts of the world. Women were awaking from their long apathy, and as they awoke, like healthy, hungry children, unable to articulate, they began to whimper for they knew not what. They might have been easily satisfied at that time, had not society, like an ill-conditioned and ignorant nurse, instead of finding out what they lacked, shaken them and beaten them and stormed at them until what was once a little wail became convulsive shrieks and roused up the whole human household. Then man, disturbed by the uproar, came upstairs all anger and irritation, and without waiting to learn what was the matter, added his own old theories to the din, but, finding they did not act rapidly, formed new ones, and made an intolerable nuisance of himself with his opinions and advice. He was in the state of one who cannot comprehend because he has no faculty to perceive the thing in question, 
and that is why he was so positive. The dimmest perception that you may be mistaken will save you from making an ass of yourself. We must look upon man's mistakes, however, with some leniency, because we are not blameless in the matter ourselves. We have allowed him to arrange the whole social system and manage or mismanage it all these ages without ever seriously examining his work with a view to considering whether his abilities and his motives were sufficiently good to qualify him for the task. We have listened without a smile to his preachments about our place in life and all we are good for, on the text that there is no understanding a woman. We have endured the most poignant misery for his sins and screened him when we should have exposed him and had him punished. We have allowed him to exact all things of us and have been content to accept the little he grudgingly gave us in return. We have meekly bowed our heads when he called us bad names, instead of demanding proofs of the superiority which alone would give him a right to do so. We have listened, much edified, to man's sermons on the subject of virtue, and have acquiesced uncomplainingly in the convenient arrangement by which this quality has come to be altogether practiced for him by us vicariously. We have seen him set up Christ as an example for all men to follow, which argues his belief in the possibility of doing so, and have not only allowed his weakness and hypocrisy in the matter to pass without comment, but, until lately, have not even seen the humor of his pretensions when contrasted with his practices, nor held him up to that wholesome ridicule which is a stimulating corrective. Man deprived us of all proper education, and then jeered at us because we had no knowledge. He narrowed our outlook on life so that our view of it should be all distorted, and then declared that our mistaken impression of it proved us to be senseless creatures. He cramped our minds so that there was no room for reason in them, and then made merry at our want of logic. Our divine intuition was not to be controlled by him, but he did his best to damage it by sneering at it as an inferior feminine method of arriving at conclusions. And finally, after having had his own way, until he lost his head completely, he set himself up as a sort of a god and required us to worship him. And, to our eternal shame, be it said, we did so. The truth has all along been in us, but we have cared more for man than for truth. And so the whole human race has suffered. We have failed of our effect by neglecting our duty here, and have deserved much of the obloquy that was cast upon us. All that is over now, however, and while on the one hand man has shrunk to his true proportions in our estimation, we, on the other, have been expanding to our own. And now we come confidently forward to maintain, not that this or that was intended, but that there are in ourselves, in both sexes, possibilities hitherto suppressed or abused, which, when properly developed, will supply to either what is lacking in the other. The man of the future will be better, while the woman will be stronger and wiser. To bring this about is the whole aim and object of the present struggle, and with the discovery of the means lies the solution of the woman question. Man, having no conception of himself as imperfect from the woman's point of view, will find this difficult to understand, but we know his weakness and will be patient with him and help him with his lesson. It is the woman's place and pride and pleasure to teach the child, 
and man, morally, is in his infancy. There have been times when there was a doubt as to whether he was to be raised or woman was to be lowered, but we have turned that corner at last, and now woman holds out a strong hand to the child man and insists, but with infinite tenderness and pity, upon helping him up. He must be taught consistency. There are ideals for him, which it is to be presumed that he tacitly agrees to accept when he keeps up an expensive establishment to teach them. Let him live up to them. Man's faculty for shirking his own responsibility has been carried to such an extent in the past that, rather than be blamed himself when it did not answer to accuse woman, he imputed the whole consequence of his own misery-making peculiarities to God. But with all his assumption, man does not make the most of himself. He has had every advantage of training, to increase his insight, for instance. But yet we find him, even at this time of day, unable to perceive that woman has a certain amount of self-respect and practical good sense, enough at all events to enable her to use the proverb about the bird in the hand to her own advantage. She does not in the least intend to sacrifice the privileges she enjoys on the chance of obtaining others, especially of the kind which man seems to think she must aspire to, as so much more desirable. Woman may be foolish, but her folly has never been greater than man's conceit, and the one is not more disastrous to the understanding than the other. When a man talks about knowing the world and having lived and that sort of thing, he means something objectionable. In seeing life, he generally includes doing wrong, and it is in these respects he is apt to accuse us of wishing to ape him. Of old, if a woman ventured to be at all unconventional, man was allowed to slander her with the imputation that she must be abandoned. And he really believed it, because with him, liberty meant license. He has never accused us of trying to emulate him in any noble, manly quality, because the cultivation of noble qualities has not hitherto been a favorite pursuit of his, not to the extent, at least, of entering into his calculations and making any perceptible impression on public opinion. And he never, therefore, thought of considering whether it might have attractions for us. The cultivation of noble qualities has been individual rather than general, and the person who practiced it is held to be one apart, if not actually eccentric. Man acknowledges that the business of life carried on according to his methods corrodes, and the state of corrosion is a state of decay. And yet he is fatuous enough to imagine that our ambition must be to lie like him for our own benefit in every public capacity. Heaven help the child to perceive with what travail and sorrow we submit to the heavy obligation when it is forced upon us by our sense of right, of showing him how things ought to be done. We have been reproached by Ruskin for shutting ourselves up behind park palings and garden walls, regardless of the waste world that moans in misery without, and that has been too much our attitude. But the day of our acquiescence is over. There is that in ourselves which forces us out of our apathy. We have no choice in the matter. When we hear the help, help, help of the desolate and the oppressed, and still more when we see the awful dumb despair of those who have lost even the hope of help, we must respond. 
This is often inconvenient to man, especially when he has seized upon a defenseless victim whom he would have destroyed had we not come to the rescue. And so, because it is inconvenient to be exposed and thwarted, he snarls about the end of all true womanliness, cants on the subject of the sphere, and threatens that if we do not sit still at home with cotton wool in our ears, so that we cannot be stirred into having our sympathies aroused by his victims when they shriek, and with shades over our eyes, that we may not see him in his degradation, we shall be afflicted with short hair, coarse skins, unsympathetical figures, loud voices, tastelessness in dress, and an unattractive appearance and character generally. And then he will not love us any more or marry us. And this is one of the most amusing of his threats, because he has said and proved on so many occasions that he cannot live without us, whatever we are. Oh, man, man, you are a very funny fellow now we know you. But take care. The standard of your pleasure and convenience has already ceased to be our conscience. On one point, however, you may reassure yourself. True womanliness is not in danger, and the sacred duties of wife and mother will be all the more honorably performed when women have a reasonable hope of becoming wives and mothers of men. But there is the difficulty. The trouble is not because women are mannish, but because men grow ever more effeminate. Manliness is at a premium now because there is so little of it, and we are accused of aping men in order to conceal the side from which the contrast should evidently be drawn. Man in his manners becomes more and more wanting until we seem to be near the time when there will be nothing left of him but the old Adam, who said, It wasn't me. Of course it will be retorted that the past has been improved upon in our day, but that is not a fair comparison. We walk by the electric light. Our ancestors had only oil lamps. We can see what we are doing and where we are going, and should be as much better as we know how to be. But where are our men? Where is the chivalry, the truth, and affection, the earnest purpose, the plain living, high thinking, and noble self-sacrifice that make a man? We look in vain among the bulk of our writers even for appreciation of these qualities. With the younger men, all that is usually cultivated is that flippant smartness which is synonymous with cheapness. There is such a want of wit amongst them, too, such a lack of variety, such monotony of threadbare subjects worked to death. Their comic papers subsist upon repetitions of those three venerable jests, the mother-in-law, somebody drunk, and an edifying deception successfully practiced by an unfaithful husband or wife. As they have nothing true, so they have nothing new to give us, nothing either to expand the heart or move us to happy mirth. Their ideas of beauty threaten always to be satisfied with the ballet dancer's legs. Pretty things enough in their way, but not worth mentioning as an aid to the moral, intellectual, and physical strength that make a man. They are sadly deficient in imagination, too. That old fallacy to which they cling, that because an evil thing has always been, therefore it must always continue, is as much the result of want of imagination as of the man's trick of evading the responsibility of seeing right done in any matter that does not immediately affect his personal comfort. But there is one thing the younger men are specially good at, 
and that is giving their opinion. This they do to each other's admiration, until they verily believe it to be worth something. Yet they do not even know where we are in the history of the world. One of them, only lately, doubtless by way of ingratiating himself with the rest of the bawling brotherhood, actually proposed to reintroduce the acts of the apostles of the pavements. He was apparently quite unaware of the fact that the mothers of the English race are too strong to allow themselves to be insulted by the re-imposition of another most shocking degradation upon their sex. Let him who is responsible for the economic position which forces women down be punished for the consequence. If any are unaware of cause and effect in that matter, let them read The Struggle for Life, which the young master wrote in Wreckage. As the working man says with Christ-like compassion, they wouldn't be there, poor things, if they were not driven to it. There are upwards of a hundred thousand women in London doomed to damnation by the written law of man if they dare to die, and to infamy for a livelihood if they must live. Yet the man at the head of affairs wonders what it is that we with the power are protesting against in the name of our sex. But is there any wonder we women wail for the dearth of manliness when we find men from end to end of their rotten social system forever doing the most cowardly deed in their own code, striking at the defenseless woman, especially when she is down? The bawling brotherhood have been seeing reflections of themselves lately which did not flatter them, but their conceit survives, and they cling confidently to the delusion that they are truly all that is admirable and it is the mirror that is in fault. Mirrors may be either a distorting or a flattering medium, but women do not care to see life any longer in a glass darkly. Let there be light. We suffer in the first shock of it. We shriek in horror at what we discover when it is turned on that which was hidden away in dark corners. But the first principle of good housekeeping is to have no dark corners. And as we recover ourselves, we go to work with a will to sweep them out. It is for us to set the human household in order, to see to it that all is clean and sweet and comfortable for the men who are fit to help us to make home in it. We are bound to raise the dust while we are at work, but only those who are in it will suffer any inconvenience from it, and the self-sufficing and self-supporting are not afraid. For the rest, it will be all benefits, the woman question is the marriage question, as shall be shown hereafter. End of the New Aspect of the Woman Question by Sarah Grand Read by Winifred Asman